This is deep dish, right? Yeah, well, let's get deep. So, so I'm, I'm going deep on both sides. Chef Hall, welcome to the platform. How you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you here. Um, just, just thank you, you know, for for everything you've done for Davis County, Middle Tennessee, Nashville. Um, just, just knowing about your works prior to this, and then even doing more research, just trailblazing uh, work that you've done. And um, I like. If people haven't done research on you, they should really go like do the research. Cause I went back maybe like eight years. That's how long you've been doing. Eight years and uh, I really liked how you broke down um, like what you do and how you kind of, at the time, your son was younger and say, hey, this is how I explain to my son. You yeah. know, um, of like, you know, I'm over time out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and so just, just going back and really studying and, and the nuance of, of what you do or how you do it, I'm just really appreciative of it. Um, even though everybody, you know, it's it's easy to pick at what um, the sheriff department or policing. It's easy to pick out what you all may do wrong, yeah. right? Um, but I'm a solution based person, and it seems like you're the same way as far as when it comes to being a sheriff of Davis County and implementing solutions to combat the problem. So I just want to give you your flowers and say wow. that um, if people don't do that enough, they should, uh, because I know it's not easy. But you know, and everything is not perfect, but through your works and actions, like how I like to measure people and mm -hmm. you've been able to put in the work and be consistent um, and go against the grain as well. So thank you for that. Well, thank you very much. That's, um, yeah, I mean, I, today's world is so, you know, so fast, everything's going so fast. People don't take the time. I, I'm I'm not saying I uh, was elected 21 years ago and, and sometimes I go back and listen to my, my swearing in speech because I want to make sure I am who I said I was going to be. And, and it's, it's really interesting to do that. There's a, because I think sometimes the world changes and if, and, and I, I want to change as a person, there are things that I had no idea would be dealing with COVID and pandemics. I'm not oh, yeah. able to, but the reality of who you are as a person, you know, especially when you run for office, I mean, you're telling people this is who I am. And if you want me to do the job, so very fortunate. I, lo I love doing what I do. I, I feel like we're, we're, we're getting some things accomplished. It's not easy to, to hear that very often. You know? Well, you know, historically, six time elected. You know, uh, that's Michael Jordan, six uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So, so 2026, you, we got you again. Wait a little more. Well, I, I've got uh, that, that young son who asked me years ago, um, yeah, what do you do? And, yeah. um, and, and, and I, you know, he's graduating college next year. And wow. so I feel like in some ways, um, you know, it, it's kind of a measure for me. I've, I've raised my children here and, and I feel like in the end, I've been very lucky to get to do this job. That's what I wanted to do for the time I was a teenager. Wow. Uh, what inspired that from like that teenage age? And you know, you everybody plays with, you know, police cars and yeah. fire trucks and helicopters and all yeah. of these things. But like, like not that many things change, right? Dreams and goals change, and depending on your experiences, maybe even with those particular professions, could alter. Like, ah, you know, maybe I don't know what to <laughs> me into that. Yeah, my parents had nothing to do with this. There, in the background was not nothing. I, I read the book Helter Skelter when I was sixteen. I didn't like to read. I wasn't really good in school, and and so um, you know, I went to Antioch High School, and I and I read the book uh, Helter Skelter, and. It was really about the murders in California during the 60s with Charles Manson, which became a kind of a famous story. Right. Um, but I read the book, and to be honest with you, I couldn't have told you this as a 16-year-old kid sitting there talking to you, but um, it scared me to death, really. Mm -hmm. I, I think I was fearful of how does people 
do these things to people. And, and I, it was a, a drug culture. It was a weird time in the 60s with, with a lot of drug issues. And, and he and others motivated people to go kill innocent people. All right. At 16 years old, I think I was scared to death and thought, why did he do that? And if we can figure out the why he did it, maybe there won't be another Charles Manson. Now, that sounds idealistic at 16. And, um, and so I got out of high school. But this book, you know, kind of stuck with me. I turned 18. I asked my parents to sign a waiver and let me go visit the prison. Um, I'm sure they wondered what the world I was thinking. And I didn't really know what that was going to lead to. But I, I just have always wanted to know why that happens and what can we do about it. And I was fortunate enough to go play college football at Western Kentucky and Bowling Green. And uh, or got asked to come and play. I really went to see Cool in the Gang. They gave me free tickets and I signed on the line that day when they gave me That's tickets. how they real you. That's right. Cool in the Gang, I'm in, man. I was, uh, um, but I, but I, I ended up there. And, you know, second week of school, the, the head football coach said, where are you majoring? They were one of us. It's really a dumb thing to ask a person that young. And, and I could only think of the thing I read about that I had an interest in. And so I said, I'm going to go into criminology. I'm going to figure out what I can, can do about what we can try, you know, try to change. And so I spent four years, believe it or not, in inline school, went back to graduate school to, to study criminology. And um, I went and lived, in, and lived in hotels and traveled to the state of Kentucky for a year. And, and everyone who was arrested in, the, in those counties that I was living in, I had to go interview them and sit down, and so I was asking them questions. Wow. The state of Kentucky is the only state in the country that outlawed bail bondsmen, and so in 1972, you, you do not have a commercial bail industry in Kentucky. Wow. So what my job was, I worked for the state, is I'd go in and interview the person, and I would say, hey, do you live here? Do you have family here? Do you have a job here? You know, and Then I would go to court as this recently graduated college student and say, say uh, judge, he's got family here, he's got a job. And so they would decide, the court would decide to let you out on ROR, to let you out on bond, whatever their type of system was. And so I was in heaven, man. I was doing what I wanted to do. I got to interview people and I asked questions. I got so caught up in realizing that people that do make mistakes, just like me. I mean, I, I should have, could have, would have been in jail. Most of the people I grew up with in my family and life have had opportunities and have been to jail. I just don't, never felt different about the person who works here versus the person who lives here and, and just as a human. And, um, Packed up, came back to Nashville after living in the hotels and went to work for Sheriff Fate Thomas, who was this huge figure in Nashville at the time. I was a peon working in the jail. and uh, But if you really wanted to see people and understand, and I didn't know what I was doing. I, I was just trying to, I really learned a lot about the why people do what they do. And, and, and uh, the point is, if we figure out some why, we should do something about it. We shouldn't just quit judging, you know, keep judging people. As I told my son, you know, when you're in timeout, I don't love you any less. Right. I feel the same. When a person's in timeout with my regular world, I don't want him to think we should love them less. Right. Uh, I don't have to like what you do. That's a lot to unpack right there. <laughs> That's a lot to unpack right there because the general consensus a lot of the times is once somebody is incarcerated, right? I think general consensus systemically we have these barriers to say that you are different. Right. You know, you're going to have a harder time being employment, right? We're going to make sure you have a harder time being housed, right? Right. Resources, uh, being able to come out and be a, a full, whole, healthy citizen, you know, just barriers, even though you didn't serve your debts to society. Right. Still feel both. How stupid is that? We, we still got still some things that you, we still use our hurdles. Um, what are solutions to those type of things, right? Because we know what, 90, three, four, maybe even higher now, percent of those that are incarcerated come back home. They come out to our community. Right. Um, and how do we enable them to give back to a full, healthy life? 
and adjust properly and not have to put on these barriers that may cause them to maybe uh, have some withdrawals and go back into some things they, you know, know they shouldn't go back to. It's like, hey, what else can I do? What other opportunities are out here for me? Yeah, I call it the collateral damage. The collateral damage of the arrest is far worse than the arrest on the person. I mean, the court costs, the fines, driver's license taken away. I mean, it's hard to get a driver's license. I don't care if you have an airplane to fly and get it. It's hard to do. I mean, it's hard. To, and so to accomplish that, when we're also telling you got to find a job when people don't want to hire you, you got to drive to the job, but you don't have a driver's license. You got to, I mean, all these things, and you can't vote for the people who are making the laws and rules, which is really all of that combined is far more damaging than the actual three months or six months you may spend in jail, believe it or not. Public think that putting someone in jail is teaching a lesson, and that's really a silly way of thinking about it. I believe in accountability. My son needs to be in timeout when we have a disagreement or there's a mistake. I believe there is a purpose for people who make decisions that are not, not acceptable. What I don't agree with is that we punish people with those decisions, mm -hmm. and it punishes in not physical punishment sometimes. People see that in, in the movies. What it really is about is we are preventing them from having an opportunity to be successful when we stack all these things on top of them. Um, and, and I think that's, to me, it's one of the more disappointing things to watch. We in the, in the jails of Nashville um, spend a lot of energy uh, because I believe most people who come to jail don't want to come back. They'll tell you that when you get them in a room that's private where it doesn't sound cool and everything. But they'll say, man, I want to change my life, trying to do some better things, and I got a kid in the world, or I got, you know, I'm going to do better, my mom's sick, or whatever. And I get to watch, and I don't do this every day, but I get to watch from afar, and I used to, in, in the jails, I'd see it every day, people who are changing their lives and trying to do well, and then that door is about to open. And when the door opens, that person is really wanting and, and believes they can be successful, but if what we've done outside the door is make it a higher mountain to climb, because you've got all of these hurdles, you you got to get to work right. without, you know, and, and find a job right. with a felony or with a misdemeanor charge and a probation officer and court dates, all the stuff that makes no sense. Right. We wonder why they're not successful. And I have always, I had a, I had a person who was in custody 25 years ago. Um, and, and I got to know people. We Most times his nicknames. I don't really care what the name was, but it, I was talking to him. And I'll never forget, I got to know him pretty well. And he looked at me and I said something, man. You're going you to make it this time. He's about to go the next few days. We're talking. And and um, he said, uh, I said, you're going to make it this time, man? I hope so. And we're just talking. And he goes, not unless someone meets me at the door. Mm. And his phrase stuck with me. What, what he said was, I'm successful right now. And when that door opens, if I don't have a ride, if I don't have some support system, if I don't have, I don't need a car. I need access to go do things. And nobody cares enough to meet me at the door outside of the government, outside of the jail, that's a scary world out there. Yeah. And I will never forget, we still use that terminology. We want people to meet us at the door because right. my legal responsibility has to end when that door opens right. as the sheriff. But if somebody in the community, somebody from church, somebody in the neighborhood isn't there to help me leave, the odds are I'm coming back. And he, he was screaming that. Right. And I just feel really, it's really important part of it because I think the addictions sometimes can be under arrest. We have that under arrest. They want to stay off. Right. They want to go to work. Right. They want to get to Waffle House where they work, but if they can't get a ride, I hear them do it. I'm going to get you a gesture. It's, it's rubbing against you. All right. A little bit. If you want to just tilt this. Hey, Duke, can you do that? Can I if you want to just tilt it up, my weather, like, like she is. Yeah, like a little. Well, it should be perfect. Okay, yeah. okay. Yep. Sorry about that. Perfect. And I'm moving it around probably. Yeah, no, it was just, you just scraping your shirt a little bit. Okay, sorry about that. Okay. That's no big deal. Um, 
Yeah, um, I want to I want to dig into some other pieces of that, um, especially from the from the sheriff side, because a lot of times when we think about policing, right, we see in Nashville MNPD, right. We don't never see the shares when there's something going down. We see an ML, MNPD, Chief Drake, yeah. um, or Carlos Laura, one of those figures addressing the situation. Um, how does that work from the public? Because we see the share of cars. Can you can you kind of break down the different capacities yeah. um, between the Davidson County Sheriff Department and MNPD? I get this question more than anything. Because <laughs> I mean, if you move here to Nashville, you have an image of a sheriff, or if you grew up here, a lot of yeah. people don't understand. A couple important things. Um, the state law, Constitution of Tennessee, requires you to elect a sheriff in every county. You can't change that. You have to elect one. So the first thing that's different between Chief Drake and myself is I, I have to run for office. He is appointed. Uh, I tell all my chief of police friends over the many years, I've had a bunch of them that are in that job. Uh, the difference between you and I is I know when I run for office, right. they have to get appointed. And then oftentimes you're at the liberty of whoever's elected because they get to appoint their own team. And so it's always a little strange. A mayor runs, may have a different philosophy. And so, so yeah, the way you get your job. People chose me. I don't that, that's, well, well, I mean, you have to put yourself right out there in a little different way. Yep. And, and there's not protection. Uh, I heard someone say this this week. I thought it was, a, you know, you have some insulation from, um, the way the council or the mayor is running things, but you also are out there on a limb. I mean, if, as I've said before, if you want body cameras and you're the sheriff, then that's who makes that decision. Here we had a mayor trying to make it, chief didn't want it, and they wanted it. I don't know, mayor does. It's a very complicated accountability. Believe it or not, I wasn't for the community oversight board. Here's why. Wow, I was gonna ask you about that. Yeah, it has nothing to do with my philosophy about that. I'm held accountable by the public. Throw me out. Right, yeah. If I'm on a committee of people to come help me steer the place, if I say no to that, throw me out. Right. A police chief is insulated. Mm -hmm. And that's why accountability was important. What, what I was saying is a lot of cities, I don't want this job, by the way. Let me clear that. I do not <laughs> want this job. But in a lot of cities, the actual, in Jacksonville, Florida right now, the police chief works for the sheriff. Mm. You elect that person. Then they ship the police chief that you and I know does the street enforcement. Someone else runs the jails but they all work under one system. Wow. And so instead of working through a mayor who may know very little about law enforcement, in some ways even um, social issues, they're oftentimes more fiscally responsible people or, or politically involved. Right. I don't love the accountability of a board over a chief of police who works for a mayor. It just feels complicated. Right. I said, let's overhaul the whole darn thing. I'll step out of the way. I don't want the job. Right. But I, I don't mind accountability. I get people calling me all the time saying, I'll pay your salary. I want your police off. Your, your sheriff's deputies to slow down. Yeah. My son is not getting his medication in the jail. I'm going to make sure he's okay. Dude. I have 700,000 bosses. Wow. And I don't forget that. I'm not yeah. saying I do it right. But over here, you're tucked in between a mayor. You're tucked into a council. And it gets a little lost where the public want accountability. And I feel like it's a... So it's not against accountability it's against sticking a board between quite frankly a chief and, and a mayor makes it very difficult to to get issues resolved i want i want to go back to this accountability piece because you have mentioned this about you know those who have maybe committed offenses or just harm in the community need to be held accountable um going back circling back to like punishment right um do you feel that in this country in, in the united states that we we're infatuated with punishment hmm. uh, and the only way that we figured out for some reason to hold people accountable is with their bodies. Yeah. Um, what should, how, how, how would you impact that? 
Yeah, so so where I, I'm conflicted, not yeah. with, not with your question, but with with the, the answer yeah, yeah. is I believe I've been focused on the why for 35 years. Mm -hmm. I know why. 90% of the people are addicted when they come to jail. What does that mean? There's a substance that is driving them to do things that you and I wouldn't think are acceptable. You don't steal from your mother. Right. Right? I mean, you don't steal from anybody, but oh, you shouldn't right. steal in your mom's purse and stealing her keys to go sell her car to get your heroin. Right. My point is, if you don't accept that that's a disease, the addiction, then all you're doing is trying to shake your finger at the person and punish the person. Right. I tell people that the police arrest the person. We're trying to arrest the problem, mm. and I don't believe the person is the problem. Deep inside of that person, there is a disease that will make you steal from your mother. Right. And if we don't get that under arrest, right. whatever you want to do to the person, is not going to change the fact that he or she is going to keep stealing from people. How are there two philosophies from maybe a chief of police and a sheriff? How does that balance out? What does that look like? What are those conversations like uh, in trying to combat and not arrest a mental illness or arrest unhoused? You know, how, does, how does that work? It's a good question, really. You know, to me, <clears throat> I tell people around the country or anywhere I, I go that I think law enforcement, it's a weird term, mm -hmm. it's two-pronged, two there's two pieces. It's the who and the why. All right. In Nashville, because our charter is pretty clear, the police do the who. They make that arrest and literally drive up, drop the person off and the paperwork and drive away. Now they go to court and do all that. But So we live with the person. We see someone eating feces. Right. We see what the person really is. We live with them. We're, we're not... The police, the DA, the judges, the public defender, they spend limited minutes over years with the individual that is a obviously under arrest and in a courtroom and going through the process. We live every minute other than those few outside the room. So we understand the human the human aspect different than most others because that's a, a small piece of their job. Right. But that's the who. And to me, law enforcement, if you only care about the who, which a lot of people in this country do, that's all they see on TV and movies is when the police pull up and drive away. They really never think about that's a human being that while they're off the streets is a very complicated, complex arrest of the problem that we should be trying to do. And so I don't I don't focus on the who. I don't watch movies. I don't I don't read books about who done it. I don't really care about that. I really care about when you bring me the person, why are they here? Right. What can we do? I may not I may not can guarantee you ever get out. There are some limited under one or two percent of the people ever or never return to community. But everyone else, if all we focus on is who they are, meaning you're under arrest, six year sentence, go to jail, then we'll go back. Right. Most odds are we haven't arrested anything. When you come to us, we wear a different uniform. We have nothing to do with where you're, whether you're guilty or innocent. We don't get to go on court and help you or hurt you. We don't have anything to do with the arrest. It makes Nashville a better place. Here's why. Most cities, the arresting agency also houses you. And to be honest with you, the communities that that happens in, the part of the job that gets the least attention is the housing of the person. This is a very sexy thing to go arrest people. Unfortunately, the media, the world, that's what people see. Right. This isn't very sexy. And it's usually where the money gets chiseled away from. It's not programs to help people. It's programs to catch people. Right. And so in Nashville, we don't go looking for people. We don't have arrest power. Right. I love to tell people, go to lunch with us. We ride down the road. Right. We have no power to pull you over. Everyone slows down when you just drive right on by. We're not there to make <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, I guess you ride right on by. Yeah. I'm sure. That's right. <laughs> but but it, the point, the important part, and by the way, what you see in the community that looks like policing um, is our officers who are basically serving warrants. That's a fancy word. What that, warrant, that word really means is it's basically a civil document, a garnishment, a divorce, 
order protection, eviction. These aren't arresting things. We're not taking people. It's a court date. It's a notification. And so our staff are so out there. Right, like right. We're all doing that, but we can't make arrests. And so that allows us, I think, to focus on the who. Right. I mean, excuse me, the, the, the what and why. And the who has already been done. And most communities just focused on the who and don't think much about that. Right. <laughs> Wow, this is this is a master class you. you, you, you right <laughs> well, I, I don't think a lot of people understand the the differences like in the nuances in that, um, especially when you have a sheriff and a, and a chief of police because yeah. one is like always present. I think yeah. we see, and the other one is yeah. like you're you're focused on the solutions. Like, okay, how can we we work with you here and and, and get you better? And what does that look like? Um, and like like you said, the sexy part is the arrest. You know, handcuffs, police sirens. Yeah. See you later. We never see you in need. Yeah. Um, I want to go in a little bit into the budget. Okay. Um, we know with MAPD, it's like, okay, you know, you got to fund the police. You got all yeah. of these things. Um, and I know you did an article 2020 yeah. uh, yeah. that I got a chance to read about the funding police that, you know, I'm, I'm curious how many friends you have <laughs> in law enforcement now because bad. of that. But uh, but but it was again it was like a really it was a buzzword right it still uses yeah. a buzzword yeah. and that means different things for different people and so can you kind of unpack for us when it comes down to a budget what does that look like for your department because yeah. um, we know a council the mayor has to do everything for MEPD yeah. you know whether they get helicopters or tanks or whatever yeah. it all has to go you know get the approval of the Metro Council, the mayor and the Metro Council and all those things. So can you unpack that for us and what that looks like for you? And if that's an annual thing or, you know, far as when it comes to financials? Yes. So and you, you brought the question earlier about, you know, I'm elected, they're appointed. So what that means is I still have to go through the mechanisms of the council to receive a budget. Okay. The mayor is, as, as I say, I don't work for the mayor. Right. Um, it's, it's nice to have an ally over there to help you so you're not fighting. I have fought, fought many of them. I, I've not always agreed because the priorities that we're having don't line up in their budget uh, ideas. And so we, we have to kind of push and, and, and scream sometimes. The council eventually funds the budget for us. We have about a hundred million dollar budget. Okay. Here's what gets me in trouble with my peers. I sit here for many years, you bred it, this is not a new thing for me as far as, as far as what I think we should be doing, arresting the problem. Right. We should be trying to deal with what the issues are. Most modern countries in the world, if you're naked in the park singing songs with a guitar and watching elephants fly over and, and the community sees you naked in the park, most countries are prepared to give you help. What they do is they ask for someone to go check on you because you need help. Our country, it's not the police fault. Our country really doesn't have that alternative. What happens is you call 911 and you say, Hey, there's a naked man in the park. The 911 person has one alternative. It's it's an ambulance, which we don't think that way. We send the police. The police pull up, and there's a naked man. There's kids in the park. We got we got a law that says you can't do that. Right. The problem with this whole thing is that arrest occurs, and then they're taught and brought to jail, fingerprinted, photographed, booked, taken to a courtroom, convicted, ten days, handed out the door, got a probation officer, you owe five hundred dollars. Right. The reality of that's just a poor system all the way around. The police take a lot of criticism for it. And I, and I sit in the middle of this where that's not my staff, so I'm not defending them because they're my people. Um, but we call them. Right. Our system doesn't have the alternative for the 911 operator to go, wow, mm -hmm. they need help. Right. In most countries, that call would come in and go, everyone knows to wear clothes. Right. Everyone, even if you're off your medications, we need help for that person. Right. We don't have that alternative. And so what ends up happening is that's caught up in the system 
And so if you just let me, this is what gets me in trouble. $100 million is my budget. If I were to tell you that 30% of the people who are in jail are diagnosed with a mental illness, right. and just to make the numbers work and make it easier to talk about, if I said there's $100 million and 30% don't belong there, mm. why not take 30% of my money? Right. You know, build, build the system that we need. Go right. build a mental system. Go build a response. Three out of 10 people. Right, right. Here's what happens though. Government wow. notoriously doesn't fix it when they start doing it. Here's my point. Take 30 million of my money. Take right. 30 million police. Take 30 million DA. But guarantee those people they won't be called to the scene. I don't, I don't need a bed to put them in. I don't need right. the staff to watch them. Make the system called mental health, which is what we promised in the 60s we were going to do. Right. Tear down the hospitals and build these mental health centers. Okay. Vietnam War took the money and we never built the centers. Mm -hmm. And you built jails and prisons. And so it's a terrible system. But one of these days soon, the defund is, a, is a, as you well know, a very polarizing way of saying it. Right. I agree with repurposing the money. I don't need $100 million. Right. But you're going to have to, you community is going to have to promise me that you won't bring me the man who is eating feces in that jail. Right. Because what it takes for that person to be treated right. medically and mental health is a totally different animal yeah. than, I don't mean the person, but yeah. the problem. Different budget. Total different situation. Yeah. So if you remove that from me, I don't need $100 million. Right. The dilemma is it's going to take some strong leadership in some critical places that says, we're going to build a mental health system right. to deal with addictions and treatment and, and, and addiction and mental health. And we're not taking that person that's naked in the park to the jail anymore. Right. And that's what we try to build because it's not the solution, it's an alternative. Well, I think that's, it's, I think it may be just easier right, to do that. Like, uh, let's step the cuffs on them, take them to jail, yeah. and you know, throw them in the system. Right. And, you know, possibly get more money to do that. <laughs> well, there's right. no alternative. Right. Yeah. And I say this all the time. If you're the most, uh, the word liberal is a funny word to me, but if you're the most liberal police officer in the world and you're the most caring uh, about mental illness, whatever, and you pull up today on the naked man in the park, I don't care if you have a bed in your house. Do you realize that you, most of the time a, a mentally ill person has a pending warrant? You know, why? they're not going to go to court. They're not going to a probation officer. They don't even understand what day it is because they're off their medication and we're asking them to live in a system. Right. So so what happens is, even if the police officer, whoever that is, has, has the best discretion in the world, if you don't have a bed for them, mm. a place to take that, that naked man in the park, then what ends up happening is they end up coming to jail for various reasons. But you as a community, not on tomorrow, you, right. you as a community have to build that alternative. You have to move the money. You have to move it from police and fire, police and, and DAs and jails. But you have to commit. You can't do that by saying defund because you're screwing it up. Right. That's going to make a defensive posture. Right. What if we can take away your problems? Right. Not all, but you know, take away that part of the problem and and make that conversation a bunch of money, build a mental health system, and then the 911 person going naked, man, wow, needs help. Right. Send a, a response team. Don't send a police officer. Um, I'm interested to get your take on this one because we 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 in the we in the mental health. We we in this. We open up. We open up this box. All right, all right. Um, we have the 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 co-op sharing ride. Yeah. Uh, MNPD. Yeah. Um, I was the organizer for Noah. Yeah. Uh, when all this was kind of going down, and we were trying to advocate for like a more of a cahoots program, what they're doing out west. Uh, I believe in Colorado. Maybe no. It sounds wrong. I can't. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Washington State, somewhere. Yeah, so yeah, I think it was. I think Washington. Yeah, I think it was Washington State. Um, and I remember from an organizer's perspective at the time, we was just trying to say, hey, like, 
we need to get police out of mental health altogether, right? You all are not trained on mental health professionals. This is not what you signed up to be a police officer, bro, right? And at the at the time, we had nothing, right? We didn't have anything. And so getting the pilot program was like, okay, like, I guess it's better than nothing. Yeah. But with police, a lot of times arrive on the scene, you know, people are not thinking de-escalation. Right. <laughs> you know, just mentally because of just traumas. Like, just what you've seen through this media thing, you like, they're not here to, like, help me, you know. I'm, especially if you have a mental health issue already, you're like, oh, no, wait a minute. That may even make you more flustered. Uh, but then you have, like, the safety concerns if it was only in mental health. So there's a lot of different dynamics at play. Um, and, I, and I ask this question with all of that context is, do we get to a place where police or policing is not involved at all in the mental health uh, crises when it is a call, it's somebody outside of police that is showing up to support that person, or will it always be somewhat a dynamic of police involved in mental health in this country? It's a great question. So here, let's let's put a real life spin on that for a second. So I live out by Unknown's Road, and there was a young man who was shot and killed. His mother called in the police to, to respond. It was right off behind the Goodwill, uh, a homeless young man. Um, and the deal was he was firing a gun in the woods or something. I've forgotten. He made a threat to his former boss. That's all I would know through the media. We're not the police. We don't show up. So I'm just right. using what I know, which is the media. One of the problems I see is you're not going to get mental health to show up a guy shoot a gun. Who's going to go in there? Right. So, and, and you wouldn't either. I wouldn't right, either. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So the dilemma is I see where we're trying to go, which is we want to de-escalate. I agree with that. But the you can't get the fire and EMTs to show up. Right. With, because unarmed. Right. To go into certain situations. So when you train a person to respond to a crisis where the violent threat is likely, not because of police are in there, but because of the, they're, they're schizophrenia. They don't know the police from you. They see someone coming to take me sometimes. So I fear that that's a wrong way to sell. I don't think, I don't think the police getting that blame is going to be fair. Okay. Because I, I think realistically, I can show you this, they're not going to go. Right. The responder, the responders you're asking for are also at risk, right. and you just got to find that where is the balance? When are they? I, I think your point's right that de-escalation was never said until three or four years ago, at least in the world that I'm, I'm used to. The terminology is really, really important. That if you can get whoever responds first, police co-response um, co or, or just a crisis, to understand our first job is try to calm this down. Um, that's the big step. If you can get the police to learn to back away as progression is happening where we don't need to force the issue, um, I think that's important. But you're going to, I think it's a little wrong, and I'm, I've heard people say this, to say, we need the police out of it. That sounds great. Right. You won't even might respond right. to certain situations where a man's walking down 65 with a gun in his pocket and he's threatening to hurt somebody. If that happens, it's a big step to get someone to go yeah. without somebody in case he does start firing at him or whatever. So. The fine line on that, I, I don't, I don't disagree that the police, they'll never, it's hard to get someone to say this, they don't want to be there. Right. That's the worst type of, of event you really are involved with. I'm not a police officer, never have been, but that's not what they signed up for either. And so right. I don't think it's a hard pull to get it in someone else's hands over the years ahead. Right. It's moving that way, slow, but slowly, but surely. I say this all the time when people kind of snicker, but. It's the only, no health in criminal justice is the only bipartisan thing I've seen ever Okay. in my life. Right. Because every family has mental health going on. Right. I don't care if you're a hardliner, I don't care if you're a super liberal, super conservative. Right. Everybody sees their loved one who's, if they get off their medication, could go make it down the street. It's a little different. Different people. 
it's a hard solution, but I think people all agree, wait, we've got to find some way to handle mental health and what we call criminal justice and, and get them separate. And so now we're trying to, we're trying to get even deeper. All right, all right. To help. All right. Um, and I really, I'm still kind of doing research on this, but I think it's good to kind of purpose it. You can kind of unpack it now. Mental health in the intersection with gun violence or firearms. Right. Um, this is a big topic because of what we just, we'll co uh, with the Covenant um, School here in Nashville, um, with this tragic and just having yeah. bad shootings in general. You know, a lot of these individuals have some type of mental health um, disorder, uh, whether they know it or not. Right. right? Um, but then you have added that with firearms, right? And so then you, you have two different kind of huge debates kind of going on around, okay, how do we address mental health issues okay. and how do we address gun control? Which one is more important? <laughs> um from the from the outside looking in, you see a firearm, you see bullets, you see people dying. That clearly seems like the problem to address first, yeah. or put money behind to ban or whatnot, right? right? Um, personally, uh, I'm torn. I'm I'm not I'm not sure. I'm a I'm a two A advocate myself personally, um, but I'm not sure if it's more the gun or more the person. Um, and I'm not sure if you know red flags. Like I don't know how much that helps, and I and I try to think like okay. If people really want to do harm, they usually find out a way. Whether even with a vehicle, we've seen people yeah. drive vehicles through marathons yeah. and things like that. No gun needed, right? If they really, if that's their their focus. Um, but the the firearm is a powerful tool that can, you know, massively cause destruction and harm and and then death. Um, so I'm interested. What's your thoughts on that? As far as the mental health, firearms, the intersection in between the two and and how do we tackle both of them? What are some things that maybe from a law enforcement expertise that maybe uh, we have as just normal civilians maybe have blind spots and kind of a lot of emotions behind it um, and unpacking that? Man, oh man, oh man. <laughs> so, um, and you helping me, you helping uh, me I unpack mean, it can get research too because I just think it's really fascinating. Um, but I think they're really they're 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 intersected but also they stay strong just together in this country right and just the history of the gun in the united states is from the beginning to the end right yeah so um so yeah first of all i, I gotta get this out i, I didn't yeah. get to i didn't get to i didn't get to tweet this out because i have a chief of staff who won't allow me to send stuff out <laughs> even though it's my feeling sometimes and so <laughs> So we had the shooting, uh, like we all have mm -hmm. ties to that. I have my sons that played sports, and we've been in churches and played. And I'm we all have some connection. Right. Someone who responded, I know. And so you know, I'm just like I'm a human being. I have emotions about it all too. And and, and I'm which, so when you boil it down, my first frustration, and and, and I, 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 I sent this as a tweet to our chief of staff and say, can I hit the button on this? You know, basically because. And, and what it said was, I don't give a damn about what you think about your ideologies. I don't give a damn about, this is the night it all happened. Right. We should be worried about these people for the next 48, 72. Can we now? Yeah. Quit trying to take credit for the victory. I told you it was transgender people. I told you guys. Right. I mean, until you quit blaming all these people. Mm -hmm. And that's what goes on almost instantly. And so we went through that. And I didn't get to send it, by the way. But right. it's my feelings. <laughs> and the feelings are because if you're just looking for a victory, you ain't about the solution. You mm -hmm. just keep in score. 
and you can find fault with every issue on there. The guns, I, I think, are one of the, the major changes in my lifetime. Right. We've always had mentally ill people. Right. We've had some different, obviously, diagnosis and things coming. When I was 18 years old, I rode with police officers as a teenager, just as a you know ride along. If there was a car pulled over and a gun, and it was it was the whole shift's conversation. Oh my God, there's a gun out there, but you could all them all last night in that car. They're not a car you're pulling over today, or you and I are riding in Harley doesn't have a gun. Right. I had a friend this week just called me out of the blue. I haven't seen him in 30 years. Calls me, says, hey, I need to ask you something. Yeah, and, and I haven't seen him in 30 years. We played softball back in the day. He said, um, my, my stepson was shot and murdered last night. And my, oh, excuse me, last week, not last night. He went through this whole story. Bottom line is, is in road rage at the Hermitage, Walmart. Young lady was pulling in. This, his stepson's pulling in. I don't know the facts. Right. It doesn't matter, really. I'm not judging if he's telling me the truth, he's on one side of the store. But the, the bottom line was, they get this argument over the parking space, back out. Somebody I know something was said. He gets out of the car, starts walking toward. And this young, I haven't looked into this young woman, shoots him, boom, 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 kills him dead. She may have been completely justified. I don't care about the facts. What I'm saying is to think that every vehicle and every conflict, the resolution is a boom, boom, boom. And soon as life's over, we don't get to get up and say, I'm sorry. We don't get to right. And I, it, it has me thinking, and this is just, I'm an old guy. I mean, I'm 58 years old. I haven't heard the last time there was a fight. Right, yeah. And I'm not proud of this. When I was in high school, you and I was arguing over a girl or a sport or whose parking space was there. Right. The most difficult thing would happen is somebody get a head bruised and tomorrow you got to walk around school with a little bruise. I'm not proud of that. That's violence too. Right. But we, we could learn to live through that. You may you may learn from the mistake. I may learn from the mistake. When you shoot and kill me, there is no learning. I mean, your life's ruined. My life's ruined. And so we're so equipped to end everything so fast because the prevalence of guns is, is a major part of the problem. And, and I do believe we haven't taught anybody how to deal with conflict. Right. No. I mean, I mean it's, yeah. it's and, and when I can get on uh, social media, my, I have two sons, a 28 and a 20. When they get on social media and just get over here and listen to who they believe and all it says the same thing they believe, there's no conflict because we agree on everything. Yeah. Um, and, it, and, and it's the conflict and it's the control of your own emotional behavior, right? Which can vary depending on how you grow up, right? Um, and it was, it's crazy because... I was just talking to some of my, uh, my some of my good friends. We all grew up in North Nashville, childhood friends, right? We was at Slim Huskies, and we were just this literally just happened yesterday. And I was like, "What does it say about us?" It's like if if I'm offended, if I feel like you're a threat, if you say something, this if you just came and knocked this piece out of my hand, right? Which is totally disrespectful. Why is the first thing that may come to my mind is like, "Oh, I I need yeah. to like shoot this person." Like there's no other, there's nothing else. It's like right. I'm enjoying myself. Oh, this random person like, randomly knocks the piece out of my hand. I feel that's just the utmost disrespect. I have to respond. And the only way that is suitable is to grab a gun and shoot that person. And I and and I couldn't I couldn't answer the question yesterday, and I still can't answer it now. But it's like, where is that coming from? From a psychological level, where that's my immediate response. And it makes sense <laughs> to me at the moment. And then we, we joked about it after, like, just imagine you, that happened. A person is dead. Mm. You're probably going to go to jail for a very long time. And they ask you, why are you in jail? Why are you right. in prison? Right. Or, God, knock the piece out of my hand. Right. It doesn't even make sense when you say it out loud. But at that moment, yeah. 
that was the best response. Yep. Right? Because of whatever else, I, I didn't want to feel like, you know, I'm soft or I didn't yep. want to feel yep. like, you know, not manly or whatever. Disrespect Disrespecting me. Disrespecting right. me. Right. Like, I couldn't even walk. I couldn't let it go. Right? Just simple. I could have bought another piece or whatever. I just couldn't walk away. I had to respond in the most violent way, which is just, um, it just, it just blows my mind. And, and it's like, how do you, you have to want to recognize it, right? Right. But then it's like, like, you know, there's other keys and they're not, processing it. It's yeah. like, this is my vibe. This is how I was taught to respond to these things. If I don't respond, then I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm the punk. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, we should have been together. Here's the point. <laughs> now, now I was with four or five guys yesterday. Funny, literally, uh, a lot older than you. So let me categorize. They were my age and who've all had, have young, let's say young twenties, 20 year old kids. We were having almost the same conversation. Here's what it sounded like. I'm so scared my kids are going to fight over a party space. So scared my kids are going to fight over a piece of pizza. I'm using your... I'm so scared because I was raised, and most of the men I'm talking to my age, we were raised, if you don't, if you don't stand up to him, mm-hmm. slapping the pizza out of your hand, I don't know that my dad said these words, but he meant it. You're going to get it from me too. And a whole generation that's really ahead of your generation was raised that, which is terrible, which is you stand up so you don't get picked on tomorrow on the playground. Right. You stand up for yourself. And I still get that. You know what I want my kids to do today? Walk away. Yeah. You get out. You will never hear a word. Walk away. Yeah. There's songs. I love music. There's a lot of songs in my generation that's talking about, you know, come home from school today with a shower on my face. And it was yeah. about, and my dad was mad at me because, and the point of it is, there was a whole generation that was raised saying, don't let someone disrespect you. Right. My problem is we screwed that word up. Because yeah. the gun's going to solve everything. I mean, the problem is, so did you get disrespected so you took out? You're sitting over here 40 years. Right. Who won the respect battle? Right, yeah, they're free. I, I'm almost to the point of going, I respect you more for walking away. Yeah. As my sons, that's what I want you to do, beg you to do. But I didn't raise them with that 20 years ago. Now that they're in these ages, I'm just begging them, don't fight over the parking space. I'm right. like, dead man over a... Walmart Perkins, but and you and and you have to build real strong character keys to be able to walk away because you know what what the peers are saying. It's just, oh, don't let it be a crowd. Don't let it be audience. Yeah, the, the like, honk, as yeah. you said, the, the word. That's yeah, it. That's yeah. Don't let it be audience. Just like no, ah, I want to walk away. And yeah. you think about it, you know, because this is high school stuff. Yes, yes, right? This is yes. middle school, high school stuff. In twenty years from there. It won't even matter, but you we can't think that far. No. You're not thinking about so you think at the moment like, I got to come back here tomorrow. Yeah, well, I got to come back here for yeah. three more years, two more years, and this is going to stick with everybody. And I'm going to be that kid that just walked away, and maybe somebody else tries me, or maybe somebody else, right. you know, says, "Okay, I can pick on that person because he or she will fight back um, physically." And so it's like it's tough, it's yeah. hard. But to the, you and and again, fights were bad. Yeah. There were people who got hurt in fights. Yeah. But what's so different now is there's no fight. Yeah. Oh, don't lose a fight. It, it, that, that'd be the difference. That's right. Like, that's you right. can fight, but depending on how you lose. That's right. That could be, oh, I'm going home. Yeah. And yeah. I'm coming back for yeah. the ultimate payday. That's right. right. And this is like, is that part of mental health? You know, <laughs> you, you know, it's like. Well, and I, I worry if we're talking about yeah. mental evaluation yeah. of what's important to us. Yeah. Pride, how we feel. But, but I think what's so different is the outcomes are so permanent, right? Right. I mean, you, you could, and that's what I think all the time. I, I, I want, 
at least for me, the decisions you make may end up life-altering sometimes. And in these situations, that instant, sure, it may feel like you solved the problem, but you're sitting here with these people, young people, going to prison for 50, 60, 70 years over a, a pizza slice, maybe. It's just, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, I want to circle back around the mental health later on. Okay. Um, but I want to get into this, another buzzword, equity. You know, um, which is used in everything now. Go to any corporate website, it's like we strive for the be inclusive, diverse, <laughs> equitable. You Tired know, all, all, all of these, right? All these acronyms, right? Um, but equity means a little something different in our criminal legal or criminal justice system because it's never existed, right? Um, especially speaking from our black lens, right? Yeah. In this country, um, just with policing. Um, and all the stats when it comes to you, you're black, brown, or poor, you know, uh, you will, you will have a difficult time going through the criminal legal system with fees, representation, um, all of these things, uh, from a MNPD policing metro side of things, um, jailing side of things. Right. Um, Hey, I don't agree with that part. So, okay. okay. Jailing thing. Help me out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Off and on back. So how, how, how I've seen and restarts our, our jailing system is that, um, if you're black or brown, you're jailed at a higher rate for similar offenses mm. that uh, white counterparts have also committed. Um, okay. I, well, yeah, I was thinking of jailing okay. as in housing. Oh, no, no, no. I'm no, about no, sentencing. I, you're yeah, talking sentencing, about yeah, okay, sentencing. Okay, yeah, I'm just talking about sentencing. Okay. Yeah, I'm talking about sentencing. And so um, how does that look, equity? How, what, well, I wonder what that means to you. Yeah. Um, and then how does that look from a sheriff department side? of things in making sure that everybody, no matter what you look like, your gender, your race, um, gets an equitable experience and also just being like very intentional about like, hey, is everybody getting treated fairly? Um, because I don't when it comes to the bonding and all that, this like it's past that. When they get to you all, this that's all handled from a different yeah. like yeah. sector. Okay. So 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 I went to college a long time ago, graduate school a long time ago. One of the things that it said about prisons and jails is if it should look like your community or it's disproportionate. I mean, fancy words back then, probably different, but basically the people in jail should be representative or someone's being whatever you want to call it, disproportionately housed. You know, what no one ever talks about, that's, that's impossible to resolve because 80% okay. of the people are men. Right. But this community is 54% women. Right. So it's, it's never going to match. The other thing that people do, I think that gets a little off track is we're talking about race. One of the things about coming to jail, and I understand we're, we're running the book around the person arrives to us right. and we're entering the stuff. So we don't know, you know, we know what you're charged with, but that we didn't make. So once you get to us, we're taking the police, uh, police report information, entering it in, and then you, the physical body comes with us. And of course, there we go. Right. One of the things that people would be surprised about, I've been saying this for years, is the percentage of people who come to jail today in Nashville will be 50% white. Okay. Most people don't believe that. So what happens is it's 58% white in Nashville. Right. That's what I've seen. I don't right. do that for a bit. Is that, is that what you hear? 58% white? I think it's a little more population-wise. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a little more than that now. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, like, as we've grown, over, I think that might, because... Yeah, uh, I, I studied that quite a bit. Okay, so yeah, it's 58% yeah, yeah. white on my day, okay. you know, and 50% of the people. Might, yeah, they might, yeah, they may be right, yeah. And now what I get complicated okay. about is all the different categories because there's people. And keep in mind, here's something. There is no such thing as race. I mean, you can't draw blood out. Right. Right? It's not. So when people say race, we all get wound up. Right. About it. It's a social construct. It is. It's, it's a grouping category. Yeah. Nobody can really explain it. But here, here's what's weird. When the person's arrested, the police officer 
can write, they're supposed to ask. But let's assume that they've asked. Whatever you identify as is there. So when you get to jail, we use that data. We're not going right. to, unless you say to us later on, we've had that happen. Right. Obviously, with transgender populations, we have the gender change in the middle of the housing. Wow. So we have a lot of things that can move through this. But, but and, and keep in mind, too, a lot of times a person can be so intoxicated that they can't communicate it when the police pick the body up, person right. up. So we may talk the next day, hey, race isn't filled out. What do you, what do you identify as? So, but here's where your question gets interesting. I, I really think people get a little lost on, and, and you've already said, but the arrest in Nashville, if you, if you just round off, is 50% white, 58% white is, is the population. So that's still not right, but it's, it's not. Tomorrow morning, the number of people, and this is not, I haven't done this in the last year. Right. Tomorrow morning, the percentage of people who stay in jail, they're black, goes up. So what's really interesting, and, and because I think people have, have said it, uh, the driving while blacker board, which I, that, by the way, that's more of a traffic offense thing, but it's legit. I have no knowledge of the details, but, but the arrest data is important. But to me, the important part is what's tomorrow look like? And again, there's socioeconomic things. There's, there's uh, systemic problems, right? I mean, like I said, there's, uh, and so that disproportionately starts to represent a higher percentage of, of black population than the arrest number is. Right. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah, so yeah. they too show that's, that. a, that's a perfect, that's a great nuance to the, the highlight. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they, they're coming in at a higher rate, but a different population is staying right. at a higher rate. Right. And, and I think that's where we, we, mm. we should talk about, you know, what causes that. And it's gotten better, I'll tell you, in the last five or six years. And this is not a credit to me. I'm just saying there's a system change, right. bill reform. I told you in Kentucky, they don't have bill bonds. I, I, I thought we were get rid of them here because in the country's moved away from. A lot of it, the commercial, you have to pay to get out. We run a pretrial release program, gets 20% of the people who are getting out without paying anything. So there's a lot of push to do that. I'll tell you right now, I, the year before COVID, or let's go before COVID, 100 people a day came to jail. Today, that's 65. It's not moving up. It's been pretty steady. So the point is, there's those fewer arrests. The public don't know that. The fewer arrests today, of those who are arrested, the programs that we talked about, uh, pre-trial release, bond, uh, probation, parole, a lot of those had systemic things built in there because they were designed 50 years ago that made you, for example, pre-trial release used to say you had to have an address. Mm -hmm. You know, my 28-year-old probably don't know his address. And moves, right. travels, doesn't right. really think the way I think. And so right. that may make you ineligible if you can't get it used to. If you right. can't give me an address, that's all thrown out. Now, as long as we get in touch with you and everyone has a phone, right. I don't care where you live but it doesn't exclude you. And so if you think about race and economics, what would happen is the population that was more likely to get out on programming was white, primarily. That's changing a little. I haven't done in the last year or two, but what we saw was the housing population was different than the arrest population. And everybody was screaming at, I don't mean everybody here in the country, that the arrest population was way disproportionate. It's not as bad as you think. And I'm talking more about now, it's bad as we move forward because that's important to know where is the problem. I'm not saying you don't have a 58 to 50, let's get that straight too. Right. But one of the things that, and I've said this for a hundred years, I believe the reality of our over-incarceration in our country is 33 to 34% of the people are ill. They're white, they're black, they're men, they're women. If you take them out of our jail population, mm -hmm. we're just like other countries. Right. Which means percentage-wise, we're not that far off. Going back with the the housing in, in the population, how do we if we if we know that thirty percent you know has, is is going to have that mental health yeah. issue, 
what can we do on the front, yeah. right, that can address mental health issues or crisis so they won't even end up getting arrested or the courtroom or into your facility at all? What What is that? What is what is those kind of proactive steps that we can take on the front end so we won't have to be trying to correct on the back end where it can it can fluctuate? You know, I don't know the exact solution, but I know you just hit the, the answer. Um, let, let's go. The, the, in Nashville, we just had a covenant shooting. We just had a travel, uh, a Waffle House case that was right. resolved. Um, keep going. A, a lot of interaction with the police officer where there are shootings. I mean, just let's just use the highest profile cases that you and I have experienced in the last couple of years. Almost all of them have had mental health previous mental health connections. I don't know much about the covenant thing, but I know she, he was in the care of, um, a doctor. That's all I know. Reading, reading them press. I don't know what that means, but it means there is at least contact mental health. The Waffle House shooting. One of the things that's going on, this is a little bit behind us, but you know, severely di or di diagnosed severely with mental illness was told to stay away from guns and so forth. Had had previous law enforcement contact. One of the things I think that we have a chance to do is when a person is arrested today in Nashville, the contact with law enforcement, if it's casual, right? The, your family happens a lot. Family call the police on their family member because it happens a lot where they've thrown the stereo out the window and the family's scared, doesn't know what's your off your medicine, don't even know if you've ever been diagnosed. All right. What we need to do is to get that person identified instead of as a criminal justice case right. in the hands of mental health. And, and what I, all I'm trying to say by that is when you arrive in our jail today, to our facility today, to be arrested, we're the only, the only system in America that does this. We, the, the first person you're gonna meet is a master's level mental health clinician. What do they do? They're trying to diagnose what is your mental health acuity, your level of mental uh, instability, or your, your, your psychosis at the top. The idea of that is to get you in the hands of mental health and to decriminalize you, get you out of the criminal justice system. Now, there are some cases, i.e. the trap, the uh, Travis ranking, the, the Wallflower shooting. By the time he's shot so many people, he's not eligible to be diverted out of the system. Let's be honest, that right. case was too severe. He was arrested previously years ago. My dream is get him in the hands of someone who knows how to treat mental illness instead of an arrest in Ohio for whatever it was, maybe DUI, maybe you know, naked in the park. If you don't identify what his issues are, the why is he, that's who, who we are, why is he in contact and try to get that problem addressed? Maybe you don't have ultimately them spiraling into this. And by the way, a lot, a lot of people don't even understand that their loved one is in a mental health crisis. Right. They see him as self-medicating and yeah. we've got to get that person into the system. And you dream with me at some portal yeah. of mental health. Well, let's say that first flag comes up for that simple right. issue. He said the, the action just starts right there. Because if you leave him in the criminal justice system, judge, you give you 10 days probation off, you right. fail probation, oak fines, and there you go. We're back to the site. And you shoot up a Waffle House. And my hope is we get yeah. you in the hands where that prevents that down the road. Two more questions. No, I'm using them. Make sure you got it in two minutes. We have a mayoral race coming up. 100 people are running. <laughs> 100 people are running. It's still and growing. It's growing, right? Um, if you had to speak to the voters, yourself being a voter, um, what should people be looking at uh, or for in our next mayor? Wow. Wow. So this will be my seventh mayor, I believe. I counted up the other day. We had four in about a year. Yes, yeah, so we all yeah, yeah, got yeah. high so numbers. We went through that last one. 
But one of the things, and, and can, can I say this, that I have a, a split vote. I have a, a constituent vote where I live, my streets, my sidewalks, my trash pickup, my traffic. Then I have the sheriff hat. Right. And what, what I mean is the sheriff hat is who I interact with more in the mayor and the city and the council. And so I used to say that I live on Hope Road. That's the street I live on. But I vote on 2nd Avenue. That's where my office was. Because that that's really important. So I'm a little biased when you ask me as a voter because my lean is who is going to understand, work with, let me have a voice for what I'm trying to do right. when I get to work. Um, and so I'm a little jaded. I, okay. I vote more that way. Okay. Who is best to help me get accomplished what I'm trying to do in my life at work? That may not be a good idea because my streets may have potholes and everything else. But you got council members, you know. Right. They, you both kind of them that they can, you know, get on the mayor about that. Help me do it. Yeah. So, so I get a little jaded, and I, and I typically vote and, and try to interview. I mean, I don't ask them to come by. Most of them come by and introduce themselves, and I'll sit down and I'll ask them uh, questions that really help me understand. Do you understand the independence of an elected office? What are three questions you ask me right now? So it would be about uh, how do you see the role of a constitutional officer? Okay. How do you, as a leader of Nashville, how would you, um, how would you decide what to do about overpopulation in jails? What would you do about if we were having a, a problem in, um, let's call it COVID is today, but tomorrow it'll be, we'll have an outbreak in some disease. What, what in our system, what are you a mayor? What do you think the solution is? Are you going to call me or are you going to put a committee together? Are you going to have a press conference? Are you going to... And I've seen them all do different things. And so what I really want is your appreciation for the fact that I have to run for the 700,000 voters just like you do. Right. And all I'm saying, I'm not better than you, but I don't work for you. I only work with you. Right. Some mayors have that mixed up. Okay. And they get it confused, not because I'm big, bad, or nothing. But the point is, my political livelihood depends on me communicating with the community as what I'm trying to accomplish. Right. Whereas the chief of police has to go through the mayor to do right. that. It gets a little confusing. And so... I always try to remember Megan Berry was a city councilman member for, you know, eight years. And one of the things she came by running for my hearing, she asked, you know, for your, my support. And I said, I'm concerned because it was a private conversation. But right. I'm concerned about your um, being an informed decision maker because as we come in from the council, from the sheriff's office, you would never once reach out and ask me. You never ask me a question, never email, never phone call. It wasn't personal. But if that's the way you're going to be as a legislative person, an executive who's not going to reach out and ask those questions worries me. And right. it just is an example of my, and I share that type of story with these folks. Okay. I, I want a voice at the table when it comes to my little lane. I'll stay out of the lanes. I don't get involved with, I get drug in, I get asked to get involved with a lot of political issues. I try very hard not to do that. Um, and it's a, it's a selfish vote, but my vote where I live doesn't mean as much as what is 20 hours a day sometimes what I'm doing down here. Last question, justice. We, we use this criminal justice system. Um, I, I tend to say criminal legal system at this point in my life. Um, what does justice mean to you? Wow. I, I think to... it means different things to different people. Right. And so I think it's just really, I think it's always a good question to ask, especially for those who may be in some form of law enforcement yeah. uh, or the criminal legal system in general. So justice. Yeah. And by the way, and you use criminal. See, I like to use that word. See, that person's yeah. not... What do you so what do you, how, what do you say? Just so so I, I would say this is the public safety arena. Okay. I don't, when I say criminal justice, okay. that's assuming that person is a criminal. Right. Okay. There. Uh, yeah. At least yeah. in my world, we, okay. we had a mayor. I think her name was Megan Barrett. She wanted to name our new building the Criminal Justice Center. I said, "What do you mean? What is criminal? Mm -hmm. These people are awaiting trial. They're not criminal." Mm -hmm. Public safety center. 
Well, so 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 it is a detention center, which is the name. It's not fancy, but the point is, we're detaining people for our system, right? Right, and the reality of bringing them to us or taking them to court, but we don't judge that as a guilty or criminal, or right. why, why are we even yeah. set to do that? But but anyway, philosopher. And it was, you know, it goes back to your other question. It was one of the battles. Don't forget, she goes on to be elected and then thought it was her decision to name buildings that we're going to run. No. Yeah. And it wasn't personal. I think she she is a good ambassador for the city. I don't care what what happened to her this album, but the way you lead the city and making decisions about a building in which we're building and we're going to operate. Thinking about human beings. I I don't, I don't, I ran around telling people I don't believe that, that the person who's sitting here I believe they're innocent until proven guilty. If proven guilty, don't don't make criminal yeah. injustice. So why didn't you work with me? Because <laughs> <laughs> I might do this job. I'll keep them out of my lane. So. Oh, justice. Yeah. So so I, I like accountability, and that okay. sounds weird. It's in our mission statement twenty years ago. You can look at it. It's why my son sits on the steps. Okay. I believe we need rules. I do. I, I'd like to go one hundred and ten to work to work. If they get the cars out of my way, if the speed limit didn't have a limit, I'd keep going. Right. But if you put that, that tells everybody else what the expectations on this street is. If we don't have those sets of rules, I don't think we have an orderly society. Um, but I, where I'm different than most people is I don't feel different about the people who are in, in a jail system. Yeah. Quite frankly, sitting on my steps and in my house. But I, I, I worry that we, I do worry about this as a generation. I'm a little afraid that accountability is lost. My, my sons played sports. I was a big sports guy growing up. And, um, you know, I think you struck out. The umpire didn't miss the call. I don't like that every time. I don't like umpires and police and teachers, everyone else getting all the blame. Right. Because some of that was my bad swing. Right. And if my sons are, I tried to raise my sons going, well, if you don't blame everybody else, you don't keep doing what you're doing. And somewhere in here, we've got to have some accountability in our system. It doesn't judge people. I don't, right. When you strike out, I still love you as my son. I want you to go and work on what you did wrong. What we've done, I think, in society is we've given a lot of ways to blame everything. Umpires, referees. I mean, I see it all the time in sports. I mean, I, I, don't, I didn't watch the Women's National Championship, but all they're talking about is how bad the referees were. Right. Maybe they were. I don't know. But you got to figure out how to play better, do better, get better. Right. And I don't mean it's all fair. Life's right. not fair. Right. I mean, there's too many sick people in the world for it to be fair. Right. But the accountability word is really important to me, and it's why I like to use timeout. It sounds corny. That timeout in my house... And time out in my real job feels very similar. There's some accountability we're trying to hold. Yeah. Sheriff Hall. Yeah, I'll do a part two. Let's do it. Yeah, I'll yeah, do a part two. I appreciate I'm you. In. I appreciate it again. Everything that you stand for, that you speak out on, write on, all the friends that you lose <laughs> <laughs> for your thoughts and perspectives on social change um, and community. So thank you. Uh, for your time. I hope you enjoyed yourself. That's awesome. We could have went another hour or two easy. Yes. Uh, but I'm looking forward to having you back. I'm ready to do it. Gonna give us some pizza. Deep right, dish sure, for you. Sure. All right.